0: you have your Bibles open with them, open them to Mark chapter 4, returning to the book of Mark. I'm going to say a phrase, and some of you may know exactly where it came from, mind the gap, mind the gap. It's a statement in the UK that's meant to notify you to the gap between... The train and the platform that you're about to cross to get onto the train, and if you don't mind the gap and you fall down in between, it's gonna hurt. People do get hurt if they don't mind the gap, they slip through. And the fact that, you know, the fact that there's a saying reveals that it's been enough of a problem that they had to make a saying to keep an eye on the gap between the train and the platform. And I often think about mind the gap in my own life and i think about it in light of what we know as christians and how we live the gap between what we know about god and how we live for the lord it's good to be a constant learner it's good to be an ever-increasing learner knowing about the lord who he is what he's done what his word says all of his abundant goodness towards us But that knowledge should always translate to action, to life transformation, to activity, to deeper relationship and intimacy with the Lord. When I was in seminary, one of my concerns was that I was constantly increasing knowledge at this far greater rate than I was applying it. I could explain to you some great truth of God's word and I could argue with you about it probably and make you feel small which proved that I wasn't really learning the word rightly, right? You you, you need God's word to kind of, as you learn it, distill it down into your own heart, mind the gap between what we know about Jesus and how we live for Jesus. We want the Lord to transform our mind and our will and conform it into Christ's image, narrowing that. So there are all all kinds of sayings about this. I could explain to you, you could say something like, More information about Jesus should lead to transformation, right? Or they'll say things, theology, knowing about God, who he is, should lead to doxology, praising God for who he is, worshiping him. Proper believing and proper worship should lead to proper practice, proper worship. Mark Twain is often quoted as saying, it ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me, It's the parts that I do understand that bother me. And I don't know if he said that or not, but what I do know is that I resonate with that statement. What I know about God's word demands so much of me. And I want to live faithfully. I want to live out what I know to be true about the Lord. I want to mind the gap, narrow the gap between what I know about Jesus and how I live. And the reason that's important, the reason I start with that is because this is how the kingdom of Jesus advances When we receive his word and put it into practice in our lives, the kingdom of Jesus advances. It goes on, it goes out. So we're turning back to the gospel of Mark. I so enjoyed our momentary break for Advent and looking at those different songs of Jesus. That was sweet. But now we're back in the gospel of Mark. And I want to remind you just of a few key things. Mark was a disciple of Peter and most likely writing to recipients in Rome who are facing persecution for their faith. They needed encouragement. They needed to be built up. They needed, they, knew, they needed to know the identity of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he endured. And the way that Mark goes about that then is he focuses on activity in the gospel of Mark to prove Jesus' identity. So you have a lot of action, a lot of activity of Jesus. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think Mark is saying, here, don't forget, here are the recorded events of Jesus Christ You're under persecution, but Jesus remains. This is who he is. Keep following him. So as we read Mark, one of his favorite words is immediately. He's always showing Jesus on the move, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, resisting temptation, just constant move, move, move. And for a church encountering suffering, like the church he was probably writing to, Mark recorded our Lord's suffering and the road to suffering in a way that would have encouraged the persecuted church. They would have taken comfort from their Savior. They would have said it's a privilege to belong to Jesus' kingdom, even marked by suffering. Our Lord went to the cross. We too must endure suffering as we follow Jesus. And so we're in one of these teachings in Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, where we actually get a lot of Jesus' teaching and a little less of his activity. So Mark kind of changed his pace here. And the context from where we were before Advent was this context of soils, the heart of people, is represented in soils, and different soils, receiving God's word differently. And Jesus is saying, I'm revealing to you the secrets of the kingdom. And he's saying, take caution then how you hear the, God, hear, hear the word of God. In other words, mind the gap. Like, pay attention, when you hear the word, that it gets deep into your life, and then it leads to a life of following Christ, of conformity to Christ, that we abound in glory to Jesus Christ and live faithfully in his kingdom. And so Jesus teaches that in Mark 4, 1 through 20, about this word of God going out. You want to have the soil that's soft, that receives the word of God, that bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And then he immediately turns to see, say, and this is how God's kingdom advances. And he gives us these short little pithy sayings about how the kingdom advances in connection to the word of God coming into our lives, which connects nicely to our last week's emphasis on receiving the word regularly in our lives. And so as we mind the gap of what we know about Jesus, the word of God that we've been taught, and we mind the gap that our lives then reflect that, the kingdom advances. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So we'll see the kingdom in in three things. Kingdom light, like L-I-G-H-T. Kingdom sleep. Don't practice that yet. Wait, Wait till you get home on the couch this afternoon. And kingdom advancement. Kingdom light, kingdom sleep, kingdom advancement. Let's look at Mark 4, 21 through 25. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So kingdom light. These verses here are going to serve as kind of a double-edged sword. If you're faithful with what you've received from the Lord, you'll receive more. If you're unfaithful, like the first three soils that he had referenced earlier, you're not going to keep receiving. He who's faithful in little will be faithful in much, and Jesus will continue to pour in. And so you look at verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? It could be better translated, does the the lamp come? Does the lamp come to be put under a basket? That's right. That's right, Titus. It doesn't. I'm so thankful you're locked in with me. And this is most likely referring to Jesus himself, referring to his coming, his coming his light, him being the light of the world, is not to be hidden, but seen. He came to reveal God to us. He came to bring us to God. And when he speaks to us and reveals his word to us, he wants it to be known. The purpose is that it's known and it's extended. Jesus is the lamp that is shining. John 1, 9 and 10. He's the true light that is shining into the world. Or John 8, 12 is a common theme through the book of John. He's the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so, the light of Christ, then, Jesus says, is shown to us as words are being preached, as his word is shared. And he says, Pay attention to what you hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He says that multiple times in verse 23 there. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, he said, Pay attention to what you hear. So, he's continuing this emphasis on how we hear. hear Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Throughout the whole New Testament, we have this emphasis. Don't despise prophecies. Preach the word, Timothy. The light of Christ shines when we share the word, when we preach the word and proclaim it. And it's God's grace that we hear the word. It's his kindness to us. It's the light of Christ shining. And verse 21 points out the folly of coming to see the light of Christ, to hear of him, and then not do anything with it. To hide the light is not like, it's nonsensical. My girls like to get their book lights before I turn off the light when I leave their bedroom at night. It'd be like turning on their book light and then throwing it under the bed. It's like, this is not the purpose of the book light. It's like going on a night hike, putting on a headlamp, and then putting your beanie over it. It, it makes no sense. The light is supposed to be shining, it's supposed to be seen. Priests had a lampstand in the temple. I often think that the, the lampstand was a pre- figure of Christ that showed us what Christ was gonna come and do because the lampstand in the temple illuminated what they were doing. It shed light on the sacrifices being offered. It shed light on the bread of presence that needed upkeeping. It shed light on the temple workings that the priests were doing. To light the candle and then throw a blanket over it would make no sense. We have to work in the light, in the light of Christ. And so Jesus Christ is meant to be seen, and we were called to shine the light that we have. We're meant to, When we see the light, we are meant to shine the light. Our fruit and knowledge is meant to be shared with others, to benefit the world around you. We have our sins forgiven. We have eternal glory ahead of us. We can lay down at night, and our consciences can be clear even over the sins we've committed because they've been forgiven, they've been confessed, they've been washed. We have an everlasting hope. It's not to be slid under the bed. It's meant to shine and what joy it brings us to share. And so this kingdom light is that we're called to shine the light you have and Jesus deals with this reality that shining light gets brighter and concealing light gets dimmer. If you shine the light, more light flows and light shines brighter. If you conceal the light, even the light you have will become dim. Look at verses 24b and following. Let's we'll just read all of 24. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is that double edged sword here. To the one who has, the one who carefully listens and obeys, more will be given. And that's true of all of life, typically, right? You're faithful in work, you bloom where you're planted, you tend to get more responsibilities. But to the one who has not, the one who hears the word of Christ and does not follow and does not listen and does not live it out, fails to accept and do the word, means you're going to be entrusted with less and less. But if you receive the word and you apply it and you repent and follow Christ and you're transformed into his image, all of this inclines him to just continue. He just continues to pour out his grace and pour out his word into your life. And we know, we know that our repentance and our faith, our growth in grace, it all flows from God's kindness to us. They flow from his goodness towards us and his work in the spirit. But the scriptures have no problem telling us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling to strive, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord, to live what I like to call like a holy sweat of sorts, laboring to know Jesus more and laboring to enjoy him, labor to walk with him, labor to turn from sin and turn to him, labor to think like Jesus thinks. We strive for this with the strength that God provides. And verse 24, affirms that. Pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. It'll be measured to you and still more will be added. So that's a sweet promise. When we're found faithful, the Lord continues to entrust with more and more. When we fail, though, to use what we've learned and understood, he doesn't just keep dishing it out. Sinclair Ferguson gives a warning. If we fail to respond to the mystery of the kingdom of God now and do not respond to it now, we may be increasingly alienated from it in the future. So maybe you've worked with someone, maybe you've counseled with someone, or you've talked to someone and you see them putting off obedience to Christ and they just assume, I'll get around to it later. I'll just get around to it later. Kids, maybe you know you should turn your life to try Jesus. Maybe you know you should give your life to him. Adults, maybe some of you have never just given yourself to the Lord and you think, I'll do it later. The danger in that is that our hearts grow increasingly hard. We're not faithful with what we have and you'll get less and less. David Sitton was a friend of ours. Sarah did some, pi- some missionary work with him in Mexico in college. And he was a pioneer missionary. I don't know if any of y'all have heard of David Sitton. Maybe you have. To Every Tribe missionary. Ministries is what he worked with. But he would go to Papua New Guinea Tribes and they were cannibalistic tribes. They were headhunting tribes. They, this was a rough batch. And he would go in and share the gospel with them. And they, many times he would have this widespread repentance of faith. And they would turn their lives. And they say, we want to follow Jesus. And he would say, okay, well, in order to follow Jesus, the first thing he says is that you should be baptized and follow him. Well, we don't want to be baptized. Okay, so well, I'm going to go to the next tribe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. they said, "Well, well, but you have the words of truth. We want to hear, like we believe in this Jesus. And he says, well, I want to keep telling you about Jesus. I want to, but he's asking of you obedience and you're not willing to obey. And I'm going to go where they will receive him and obey him. And they, and they would often say, okay, okay. <laughs> we want to follow Jesus. We trust him. We, we, we trust him to save us and we'll follow him forever. And so that's, that's what these verses are saying. Hear the word, treasure the king who speaks it, obey his word, he'll entrust you with more. Tim Keller once said, spiritual growth is like riding a bike. If you don't move forward, you fall off. And so there's a beauty, though. There's a beauty to the promise that's on the flip side of that warning. Is that when you hear his word and you do it, he continually pours out more grace, more of his word, more of his strength into your life. And so it might be simple then to conclude, then the kingdom advancement of Jesus all depends on us being faithful with what we hear. And we should be faithful with what we hear. We should be. We should receive the light of Christ and shine the light of Christ. But this next parable gives us another side of the kingdom. There's kingdom light and then there's kingdom sleep. And that God's kingdom advances even while we sleep. And that should bring you comfort. There's kingdom sleep that our king works in unseen ways. Look at verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Here's a glimpse into the mystery of the kingdom, that the kingdom advances in unseen ways as the word goes out. Tribulation exists, persecution exists, worries of the world are abounding, but believers endure, they hold fast to Jesus, the seed is sown, and there's slow but steady advance even while we're sleeping. You're not doing anything, but Jesus is. His word goes out steadily. So you think about this. He's got this image of a man scattering seed on the ground. A farmer does. Then he sleeps. Rises night and day. The seed sprouts and it grows. He knows not how. Well, ever since the fall, the world will just produce weeds, thorns, thistles, briars and brambles, cactus and things that hurt you. I don't know what that will look like in glory. I've often wondered Will there be thorns in glory that serve a purpose? I don't know. But that's not the point. Corruption and sin abound is the point. And that we are called to labor, we are laboring to bring forth good fruit in our lives, which means we have to plow and scatter seed or there won't be a harvest. So we plow, we scatter seed, and we won't, there won't be a harvest. The heart of man is hard. It's hard to get the seed of God's word in there into the deep recesses. But we labor, we strive, we sow, we cast seed, we talk to our neighbors, we talk to our children about Jesus, we we cast seed, we sow, and then we sleep. We sleep. The work is slow, you sow, God waters the seed, and then sprouts begin to form. The mysterious work of our God is that the blade comes up, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and then there's time to harvest. He says the kingdom's gonna go. But it's slow. And this small seed is cast upon the soil. The rain falls. The soil enriches. The sun shines. The farmers know not how the seed sprouts and grows until it's time for a harvest. It's going to happen. The kingdom is going to happen. But at first, it may look like nothing's happening at all. Like you can't, I can't command the, the prosperity and growth of every seed, physical seed, that's actually planted. If I did, I'd be a millionaire. Right? We just, they, people cast the seed. Farmers do, they fertilize, they kill weeds, and they hope for the best. My brother-in-law's a farmer. One hailstorm will just wipe it all out, right? We can't command the prosperity and blessing of every gospel conversation either. We don't know what all is going on when we sow the word into people's lives. We don't have full, complete control over their heart and over their mind. And so we sow the seed and sleep and trust that God will give the increase. We cast the hope of Jesus to our neighbors, our children, our coworkers, and we sleep, and then we look for life that, gradu- that manifests itself just gradually, slowly, It takes time. If you could plow the field, plant the seed, reap the harvest, thresh the grain, bake the cake, and eat it all on a Sunday, that'd be great, but it doesn't work that way. It's slow, which means we have to sleep and trust the Lord. And so sleep peacefully. So in this kingdom, shine the light and sleep peacefully knowing that God's grace is at work. The smallest shoot, the smallest blade is a sign of grace. The smallest little work or glimpse of grace in your children's lives is evidence of God working. Conversations with neighbors Co-workers is evidence of God's working in small, incremental growth, but God's working. He's moving them to eternal glory. Though we may not see the fullness of the fruit yet, the Lord's growing and cultivating the seeds that we've sown. Mighty oak trees start as acorns. He's working when we don't see it. Mark Buchanan wrote this. The heart in fall is in a word expectant, like the season, fall. If we've prepared well in the spring, plowing and sowing and planting, then we wait in expectancy of hope. If we've not prepared well, we wait in an expectation of disappointment, maybe dread, he says. So he's saying we can sleep with expectant joy, anticipating the Lord will do a work through the sowing that we've done. So we sow in hope, we shine the light of Christ in hope, and then sleep peacefully knowing God's working. Ecclesiastes 5, the sleep of a laborer is sweet. If we labor, we sleep and know God will bless the works of our hands. Jackson Boyette was a, a great mentor of mine, but he often would pray at the end of the day, Lord, I give you the works of my hands. I leave them in your hands to do with them as you will and as you please. And it was his way of just lifting off the worries of the day. Leaving them in the hands of the Lord and then sleeping peacefully. Sow and sleep. Because small sowing with faithfulness leads to while God's doing these works unseen leads to kingdom advancement. Small sowing will lead to a global kingdom. Look at chapter four, verses thirty and thirty to thirty-four. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. Kingdom advancement. That small sowing, and then even while we sleep, will lead to a global kingdom. Global. So this is an interesting reference here, this little grain of mustard seed that ends up being a tree, this massive tree where even birds of the air can find rest in it. This is... Describing the kingdom throughout the whole earth, Jesus's kingdom spreading, starts small, extends to the ends of the earth throughout the the Bible. Birds nesting in shade of a large tree is typical. It's typically a reference to God benefiting nations, other nations through blessing a singular nation. All nations, this is having in mind, all nations are going to be brought into this and blessed by the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It starts small and then expands to the ends of the earth. And so what was so small that a bird could eat, right? He references that in earlier in the, in the parable that these birds can pick up the seed of God's word on the path. What's so small that a bird could eat will end up becoming global So global that those that opposed the very gospel that was being preached now find comfort in it. Like Saul, on his way to persecute Christians, Jesus saves him, and now he's a Christian, and he's among the kingdom of God. Nations that have opposed the gospel, they've opposed Jesus, they've opposed the gospel, now have gospel presences among them. This grain of mustard seed, people, critics have said, it's really not the smallest seed. Well, Thank you for pointing that out. It's more of a proverbial expression among the Jews regarding something small and insignificant, like a New York minute. Like we all know, New York minutes are the same as my minute. It's just a saying. We're just saying it's quick, right? Jesus is just saying so something very small, seemingly insignificant, can lead to a global impact. It's just a guy throwing seeds in the field, nothing special. It's just like our Lord. It's just like our Lord to do this kind of thing. 2,000 years ago, a seemingly helpless baby was born in Bethlehem. Too little. That town was too little to be considered among the clans of Israel, Micah said. He's born out of wedlock to a teenage mother. He came out of Nazareth. Nothing comes out of Nazareth. His dad was a measly carpenter. His career failed. I mean, the guy was killed. All his friends left him. All of them. And yet three days later, he rose again and he conquered death and he assembled a people to himself in the church and entrusted her with his word and then sent them out with the gospel to take it to the ends of the earth and make disciples to sow and sleep. And then the kingdom spreads triumphalistically, no. Just a dead savior. We're telling, we go and just talk to people. That's how the message spreads. We go and talk to people. We tell them things about a Savior who died but rose again and conquered the grave. Small, seemingly insignificant things lead to global kingdom. The kingdom spreads through fishermen, tax collectors, plumbers, lawyers, people that drive a truck for a living, people that drive a desk for a living. All people extend the gospel out anywhere. Small sowing through insignificant things makes a massive Global kingdom. His, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Don't underestimate the power of the word through you in your life and my life. It will accomplish everything God intends it to accomplish. It's not triumphalistic growth. It's steady, sowing, enough steady, trusting, sowing that we can sleep. And then the kingdom goes on. No singular ministry has the answer. No parachurch organization is essential. No convention or denomination is the hinge pin for global kingdom advancement. No political figure that we vote in is the answer to kingdom growth. No nation is God's key to advancing the kingdom. Frat could disappear. The CNMA could disappear. My old Friends, the SBC could disappear. America could be swallowed up by the sea. A tyrannical dictator could start a one world government and command the earth. No matter, Jesus's kingdom will go right on. It'll just go right on. It'll become a global kingdom. As his people sow the word and sleep and trust him to do a great work. The kingdom of Jesus continues. These people were in Rome under persecution. Rome's not dominating anymore. Jesus is. The Bible's banned in countries. It's in there, it's in there. People have been burned at the stake for believing the gospel. It just lights the fire for further kingdom expansion. Churches have forgotten the gospel in generations and it's been recovered beautifully in every generation. Governments make it illegal to worship Jesus and Christians worship Jesus everywhere, all the time. Underground churches Meeting in homes, out of sight. There's no stopping it. There's no stopping it. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. But what's essential is that we hear the word rightly accepted and obey it. And then sow that word upon the hearts of others. And the harvest will come. Jesus will save his own. We can then sleep and trust the Lord to expand his kingdom. And he'll do it through us. He'll do it through us. So be patient, brothers, sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Receive his word, frack. Sow his word. And sleep, knowing that his kingdom will advance. As we take time now and turn our hearts to the Lord in communion, as we take him in by faith, receive the fullness of his goodness towards you that you might go and bear fruit for his kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time we get to now receive communion and receive you by faith. This bread that represents your body and the drink that represents your blood for us. Lord, we look back and remember what you've done for us on the cross. Remember that our sins are forgiven. Our future is heaven. We praise you for what you've done. And we look forward. We look back and remember, we look forward and anticipate that we will continue to do this until you come again, until you come again. And Lord, your gospel will go out to the ends of the earth. Every nation will hear your name and then you will come. And so we pray, Lord, that you would make this time of encountering you in your supper and in your word and in these songs, a time that compels us out with your word, that we might sow it, sleep peacefully knowing you're working, and see your kingdom advance. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.